Sometimes it's hard to see God's fingerprints in our lives. Sometimes we wonder where He is and how He's working, but He's always working. And if you belong to Him, He's working in your life, whether you see it or not. We're going to see that more as Esther rises to be the queen in Persia today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. If you've seen Cecil B. DeMille's depiction of the Ten Commandments, how many of you have seen that? Uh, there's There's an older Jewish man in the mud pits and a Jewish woman's basically, you know, taken in by them. And he says, you abuse our women. And, and he, he says, beauty is a curse for us. And then they kill him in the mud pit because he speaks out against them. But this is who she is. She's caught between two worlds. Her name is Hadassah Myrtle, but she's named after Ishtar, the love goddess, because she's in the Persian court. And the decisions of you know, former generations reverberate. Her mom and dad are dead. And we learn something about Mordecai now that's interesting. He's the opposite of King Ahasuerus. Mordecai is a selfless man. Mordecai has taken in Esther, adopted her into his family as his own daughter. He loves her. He, he is a selfless man. Many of you have opened up your hearts and homes and uh, taken in ones who were not biologically yours because of love. And it's an awesome picture of the gospel. And so it came about when the command and decree of the king were heard and many young ladies were gathered to Susa, the capital, into the custody of Hegei, that Esther was taken. The words there could imply force, but we don't know for sure. To the king's palace, notice, into the custody of Hegei, who was in charge of the women. All of a sudden, because Mordecai had a position somewhere in the Persian government, uh, Esther lived with him, so she was around close by where the edict was given, and she was taken. Did she fight? Did she resist? Did she cry? We don't know. The Bible is absolutely silent. Did anybody resist? Did anybody try to run away? Were they taken with swords and clubs into custody? We just don't know. But all of a sudden, she's living her normal everyday life. I don't know what her normal everyday life looked like, but all of a sudden, horses and, and you know, uh, military guard pull up and they start plucking up young gals. You might imagine anywhere from 13 to 17, 18 years old in there. And they start grabbing them off the streets, one by one by one. And maybe they're told as they're taken, the king is looking for a new queen and you will be brought into the harem and maybe you'll be chosen, but if not, you will stay in the harem as a concubine for the king. That'd be a little devastating. I don't know what kind of expectations Esther had of a life, but could you imagine that maybe there was a young man somewhere in the Jewish community that she already loved? Maybe a young man that had expressed some interest in her Maybe uh, the guardian, Mordecai, was talking to that young man's parents. We don't know. I'm speculating, but I would imagine that she had hopes and dreams. I would imagine that she thought about a fairy tale wedding, that she thought about a man that she could love and a family that she could have with a man in her future. And now to be taken by the Persian king to be one of his dolls, that 
He plays with, if I can put it that way, when he wants to. It's tragic. I would imagine that she was devastated. She was taken, she was put into custody, and now she's in this different world. Application. God can take our pain and our broken dreams and work out something for his glory and for good. In fact, the Bible says God works all things together for, what? For good to those who love him. But do you hear that verse? He works it all, all things together for good, but it wasn't necessarily all about Esther's good. What was it about, folks? It was about the good of the people. See, Esther became a vehicle or a channel or a vessel by which the nation would be saved. So sometimes when we quote Romans 8.28, we immediately put it in the context of my good. And I believe God wants to do good for us. In fact, every good and perfect gift is from above. Amen? Amen. However, it's not always about your good. It could be about somebody else's good where God is weaving the tapestry together by which he can use you as a vehicle to reach out with his love, even through maybe your own pain. It's hard. But humility's expression is precisely what our King Jesus modeled, that we are to esteem others, you ready? As more important than ourselves. Wow. Is that the worldview you're getting today? That you're to esteem others as more important than you. And it's captured in the words of Hadassah when she says, if I perish, I perish. See, this is what Jesus modeled for us. And in fact, this is where we find life because it is more blessed to give than to receive. But we don't believe it. Because if we did, we'd be doing a lot more giving and we'd be looking out for a lot more best interests of others than ourselves. Amen? I know it's hard truth, but here it is. And so you can see how Mordecai is so different. He's contrasted with his pagan king. Now the young lady, Esther, thrust into this world will have to move quickly. She pleased him, that is the eunuch in charge, and found favor with him. So he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and food, gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace, and transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Apparently, she got put in the area with the A team. Now I have the A band and the B band. Well, apparently she was part of the A band. And, and somehow she impressed this servant. It could be that she was obedient, she was sweet, she was obviously beautiful. But overarching theme is it's the favor of God on her. Joseph found favor in the eyes of Potiphar. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. See, when God's grace is upon you, it's not necessarily about you, it's about him. It's about what doors he's opening for you in certain contexts. And so he quickly elevates her, speeds up uh, her process, gives her the royal treatment, if you will, and the hand of God is on a very bleak situation. Now, Esther did not make known her people or her kindred. She didn't say she was Jewish. For Mordecai, her guardian or her dad, 
had instructed her that she should not make them known. I don't know why, but Mordecai, having been older and being in the king's court, probably saw building anti-Semitism. And he probably thought her chances will diminish in this situation if she reveals her Jewishness. And some of you are in companies and families and situations and friendships where you've hid your Christianity. You are a secret Asian Christian. And you sing the song, right? You don't want people at the company to know. You, you silently pray over your food because, you know, out loud prayer could be risky. And, and look, in some settings, if you, if you reveal that you're a Christian, it could cost you, right? We all know. And in some places, you might be surprised that there's a bunch of other secret agent Christians in the same company with you. Now, every day, Mordecai walked back and forth, picture pacing, in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. Can you imagine his heart? Here he is, you know, he's, he's now her father. He's adopted her. And he's got some formal position. He paces back and forth, and he's trying to get information. He wants to know how she's doing. He was watching over Esther, but someone much higher was watching over all of them. And I would imagine, even though the Bible doesn't say this, that he was praying. William Temple is reputed to have said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. Close quote. Have you ever noticed when you pray, more coincidences seem to happen? Now, when the turn of each young lady came to go into King Ahasuerus, after the end of her 12 months under the regulations for the women, beauty regiment, the days of their beautification were completed as follows. Six months with the oil of myrrh and six months with spices and the cosmetics for women. Now, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. But this is a picture of excess. This is a picture of too much. One writer says, it's been suggested that the women may literally have spent their time in these elements with ointments being applied by means of a chemical bath or fumigation. How many times do you need to be fumigated with the spices and the, and the oils? Oh, one more time. My skin's not quite soft enough. <laughs> and this is how they prepared for their interview. Excess. Sound a little bit like America? We've, we focus so much time in the outside and God says, I don't look at outward appearance. I look where? At the heart. Now the young lady, and we're giving, get, getting an overview of what happened. The young lady would go into the king in this way. Anything that she desired was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. I don't know what that included. In the evening she would go in and in the morning she would return to the second harem. That's the B team apparently. This was the place of the concubines. To the custody of that guy. That's Shaggy right there. That's Shaj, Shajgas. He's a lot like Mamukin. Now he's my favorite. Shajgas. Anyway, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines, she would not again go into the king unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. So get this. You guys have heard of this, the movie that the TBN network did one night with the king. Kind of this this is the basis of it. And the women prepared for a year, and then they went in, and we have to say it, 
they were probably intimate with him because that's what he wanted. And so they would go in. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... Pastor Michael Lance and everyone at Walk in Truth wanted to let you know how much we appreciate your partnering with this ministry, whether through prayer, by listening, and of course, financially. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where Pastor Michael is the head pastor. We are looking to get Walk in Truth on many more radio stations, but we need your financial support to be able to do that please visit the website walkintruth.com. Click the donate button at the top and that's where you'll learn more and how you can give online or through the mail and become a monthly partner or give a one-time gift. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com and God bless you for your donation. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. She would not again go into the king unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. So get this. You guys have heard of this, the movie that the TBN network did one night with the king. Kind of this, this is the basis of it. And the women prepared for a year and then they went in and we have to say it, they were probably intimate with him because that's what he wanted. And so they would go in and he would be with them and they would stay for the evening and they would leave in the morning and be next. Next, next, next. And these were young women who had been taken. I'm sure, you know, maybe some of them in that culture were excited at the opportunity to be the queen, but I'm sure for a lot of them, they were devastated. And so everything is for the empire. There's two schools of argument. One school says Esther is simply one more beautiful virgin that the king will deflower. But there are other scholars who argue that something happened on the night that Esther went in where the king immediately fell in love with her and she did not give herself to him. I don't know. And I will leave that to your own study, but here's what happens. Now, when the turn of Esther, and we're reminded of who she is, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, you see, no matter what the empire does, it can't rob her of her family, her community, and her true identity. And so I think the writer right here says, no matter what's going to happen now, please know that Esther is Esther. And she will always be attached to the family. And she will be always attached to the covenant. Always attached to her Jewishness. And no matter what somebody's done to you, if they've robbed you of something, if you made a mistake and you feel like you can't get back, I have good news for you. There's always a way back in Jesus Christ. Amen? And if there wasn't, I wouldn't be standing here right now because I made a pretty good disaster of my own life doing everything the wrong way. And so here's what happens. Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai uh, 15, who had taken her as daughter, we, we see now the close relationship, came to go into the king. She did not request anything except what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the women, advised. She got his advice and she followed it. He knew the king well, so she, she went with that. And Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Once again, there's a bigger hand over this, the hand of God, the favor of God. And so Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus, to his royal palace, in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. 
Now Vashti was deposed, I think, in the third year. This is how we get four years have gone by. He's fighting battles, so time's gone by. A year of the beauty treatment. So this is the seventh year of his reign. It's the winter time. It corresponds to our December or January. Even in this part of the world, it's wet, it's rainy and cold, kind of like tonight. That's the weather outside. And Esther is brought in for her time with the king. Can you imagine what she must have felt like? The palpitations of her heart. I'm sure she was probably praying, asking for God's mercy. I, I don't know, but there's a lot that we have to speculate on or at least try to fill in the details. But it says in the next verse, and the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. The way the language, the way I see the language is the moment she walked into the room, the king loved her. Y'all believe in love at first sight? You believe that God can do that? You know, we've been having some discussions around the office and, you know, we counsel people, all right, take your time, you know, do your premarital counseling, take some, and then we learn about some of the relationships. It's like, yeah, we knew each other two weeks and we got married. It's like, what? But then they've been married for decades, so apparently... There is such a thing as love at first sight. We don't recommend, by the way, a two-week, uh, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but he saw her and he loved her. He was, to him, she was a ray of sunshine in his life. Maybe we could imagine that the moment she walked in the room, he just sensed something different and he loved her. And he took the crown and he made her the queen. Can you imagine being Esther? Heart pounding. I don't know. Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me. You walk in, this guy loves you. He takes the royal crown and you're the queen of the Persian Empire. From a nowhere girl to the queen. Can you imagine that? Wow. And so the king gave a great banquet. Esther's banquet. She even has a holiday. Can you imagine that? By the way, you're the queen now, and we have a national holiday named after you. It's Esther Day, as opposed to yesterday. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> he threw a bit. <laughs> yeah. Some of you guys are slow, but yeah, you know, it's, it's late. Anyway, for all his princes and his servants, he also made a holiday for the provinces and gave gifts according to the king's bounty. This could mean... Uh, a reprieve on taxes. It could mean a holiday off work, even off a of military service. And there is Esther. Can you imagine? She takes a deep breath. The local news shows today is the holiday in light of Esther. <laughs> Finally, the king's kind of happy again. Yay! Pass me the donuts, you know. <laughs> Listen to Ian Duguid. He says, here is hope for all those who find themselves in difficult circumstances in the present because of their past sin and compromise. Here is hope for people who married a non-Christian husband or wife, even though they knew it was wrong. The person who chose a career based on all the wrong motivations or who wasted a lifetime in pursuit of the wrong goals can discover that God is sovereign even over those sinful choices and wasted opportunities. Perhaps he has brought us to where we are today so that we can serve him in a unique way. If so, 
that doesn't make the wrong decision and sinful actions right. But it should cause us to give thanks to God that he is able to form beautiful pictures out of our smudged and stained efforts. Past failures do not write us out of a significant part of God's script in the future. And so we wind down with these words. When the virgins were gathered together the second time, I don't know why, some believed to go home, some believed these were new ones coming in. Then Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, which would indicate the gate is prominent, so he has some sort of official position. Esther had not yet made known her kindred or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther did what Mordecai told her. She was submissive, and she had done as she had done when under his care. So she didn't say that she was Jewish. In those days, if we ask the question, what about Mordecai? While Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officials or eunuchs from those who guarded the door became angry and sought to lay hands on the king, on King Ahasuerus. But the plot became known to Mordecai. He told Queen Esther. Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now, when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both, these two men, hanged on the gallows. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. As we wrap up, we get a little backstory into something that will matter five years from this point. It's written in the the Chronicles of the King, and it's this. Mordecai saves the king's life. And later, this is going to become a huge part of the story. But for now, Mordecai gets word, and these two guys, uh, this is from the MacArthur buddy, uh, buddy, (laughs) the MacArthur study Bible. He says, these men were executed on the gallows. Persian execution consisted of one being impaled. It is likely that they, the Persians, were the inventors of crucifixion. Close quote. These two guys got impaled. And just at the right time, Mordecai was there under the providential hand of God because God is working all things together for good. Here's a thought I had. One day we're going to end up at the king's banquet. And the bride that he is prepared by the washing of his word to be spotless and blameless before him, the one that has loved us to the end, we will see him face to face. And the Bible says in multiple places that we will get a crown, whether it's literal or not, I don't know. But here's what we're told. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, says Paul. James says you will receive the crown of life when you endure trials. In Revelation 2.10, Jesus says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And we have this idea from the scriptures that we will cast our crowns before him. But the beauty treatment that God's doing to prepare you for that meeting is a beauty treatment of changing you from the inside out. And the reason that he wants you there one day is not for his, it is for his glory, but it's for your good. It's not to hurt you or to abuse you. It's because he's always loved you. And he's preparing you in this lifetime for that meeting when you will get that crown and cast it at his feet and say, thank you, Lord, for inviting me to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he will put a crown on our head. Isn't that amazing? And he's just asking one thing of us. 
to walk with the eyes of faith, to be faithful, to even look at our mistakes as opportunities to not go back there and to serve Him. Amen. Well, that's one thing that we really just need to remember and focus on, our identity in Christ. You and I, if we're in Christ, we are forgiven. And now it's time to serve him, to walk in the good works that he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You know, we do have an enemy. We have the devil. We have our own flesh. We have the world. It can be hard at times. And sometimes we beat ourselves up. And sometimes we just feel like, Maybe we're worthless, like we have not much to give, but God has a beautiful plan for your life. Walk in it. Walk in those good works. He will give you the power and the strength that you need. Well, please know that we'd love to get this entire series called Esther for such a time as this. When you give a financial gift of $30 or more, we'll send you a flash drive of this entire series as a thank you. You can visit walkintruth.com to donate today. You can also find the mailing address from there. Click the donate button at the top right-hand corner of walkintruth.com. Well, have a blessed weekend. Get into fellowship in your local church. And if you're in Southern California, come visit us in the city of Corona. It's Living Truth Christian Fellowship. We're on Arsenal Way. Think of the armor of God. And we meet Sundays at 9 and 11, 15 a.m. We have two services a wonderful church family. So if you're in the neighborhood, come and worship with us. You can find out information and directions when you go to walkintruth.com. You can find out more about the church. Well, we'll talk to you on Monday when we begin a teaching on Esther chapter three. Until then, we'll see you. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.